let's go back to 1989 here. The game was Tecmo Bowl, probably one of the biggest sports hits, uh, at least in the early stages of video games, and there was no more really no more important figure in that game than Bo Jackson, pretty much universally regarded as one of the probably most dominant video game characters of all time. The only thing was that as dominant as Bo was in that game, he was just as dominant on the field. And that story actually starts seven years earlier. And so we're going to be digging through that Iron Bowl game from 1982 now with Mark Schofield, who dug way back, 24, actually 34 years back, holy crap, 34 years back into the history books, into the film reels. I think we were probably still on... Uh, the, the game wasn't shot in black and white, correct? It was not shot in black and white. We did have the venerable Keith Jackson on the call for ABC, which, I mean, man, talk about talk about an all-time great. Keith Jackson with the call. Um, but, yeah, I mean, basically what we're doing here, it's kicking off one of the summer series that we're going to have on Inside the Pylon. Um, looking back at some sort of classic college games. So I'm kicking it off with a piece that's going to come out later this week, looking at that 1982 Iron Bowl, which actually it really goes by the name of Bo Over the Top, which kind of talks about the touchdown the then-freshman running back Bo Jackson scored to kind of win that game for Auburn. But before we even get into that play, there's a ton of like context that needs to go into like why this is, even though it happened, like you said, 34 years ago, why it's still viewed as probably one of the better games in Iron Bowl history. Well, t- talk to me then a little bit about what drew you to this game. I mean, again, we're, we're sitting here now, it's 2016, and we're still talking about a game from 34 years ago. Give me kind of your top two or three reasons that you were drawn to this. Right, well, to kind of set the stage for this game, you've got to understand that Auburn at this time was not the Auburn that we see now. I mean, Auburn had lost nine straight Iron Bowls. They were, you know, they had finished five and six in the 1980 season. They fired their head coach. They brought in Pat Dye, who, while he had some SEC experience, he played at Georgia. He was a graduate assistant under Alabama head coach, the legend Paul Bear Bryant. Um, he had only coached at East Carolina and Wyoming. He had some winning records there, but this was his first head coaching job in the SEC. In his first year, he finished 5-6, and six, but that was the 1981 season. They were a little bit more competitive. They hung tough with Georgia, the number one team in the country. They lost by five, but still finished 5-6. and six. But the big thing that went down during that sort of offseason going into the 1982 season was the recruiting process of a young running back, multi-sport athlete, football, baseball track from Bessemer, Alabama, and that's Bo Jackson. It was pretty much assumed that growing up an hour from the University of Alabama, an hour away from Tuscaloosa, that he was going to go play for the Crimson Tide. But Paul Bear Bryant's an old school guy and basically told him, look, you probably won't see the field until your junior year. And when you do, it might be at defensive end or defensive back or some other position other than running back because this is Alabama and we get the best of the best. Jackson heard that and said, you know what? I want to play. In steps Pat Dye, and he says, I can't guarantee you playing time freshman year, but look, we're on the rise, and we're going to give you a shot to see the field. And sure enough, in that triple option offense, Jackson wins a starting running back job as a freshman. And, and you look at the numbers there, freshman year, 127 carries, 829 yards, 6.5 yards of carry average as a freshman, 9 touchdowns. 
you know, you're, you're talking about a guy who pretty much, you know, almost rushed for 1,000 yards with, you know, not even 150 carries here, uh, and then follows it up later on with a stellar sophomore campaign as well. But, you know, in terms of as you started to dig into this tape, were you looking specifically at Bo Jackson, or did he stand out that much just when you were watching the tape in general? I wasn't really looking just at Bo. I wanted to kind of, because this was a game that, I had never really dug in and broken down. I mean, I'd seen highlights. I'd seen clips here and there of some of the plays, but I hadn't sat down and really, like, broken down this entire game. And what really sort of stood out was, look, you know, Auburn wins this game, but Alabama racks up over 500 yards of total offense. Um, You know, they're moving the ball up and down the field. It was a 14-13 game at the half. Auburn had a one-point lead. They had actually scored a touchdown pretty late in the second quarter to take a 14-10 lead. Um, Walter Lewis, the quarterback for Alabama, actually hits on a pass late in the second quarter, gets them into field goal range, so it's 14-13 at the half. Third quarter is basically all Alabama. Um, They had two long drives, and a critical play in that game is actually a defensive play for Auburn that that I talk about in the article. Um, Alabama rolled out two quarterbacks. They brought in another quarterback, Ken Coley, um, even though Walter Lewis was a good quarterback, he was their starter the next year. He actually finished, I think, sixth or ninth in Heisman voting. So he was a good player, but Bear Bryant would, you know, change it up a little bit. So he brings in Coley for a drive, and they Alabama faces a pivotal sort of third and four, and they run the triple option. Both of these teams were basically base triple option wishbone teams. Yep. And the defensive end in that Auburn 5-2 defense, which is a defense you don't hear a lot of anymore, does a great job of sort of staying home, forces Coley to cut back to the inside where he runs into both linebackers, and he gets cut down inside the one, like 18 inches shy of the goal line. And at that point, it's a, I think it's a 19-10 lead that Alabama has, and Bear Bryant hems and haws and kicks the field goal. So What's wrong with that? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it comes back to bite him. Well, yeah. I, I want to get the numbers right here. I, I want to make sure I'm, ta- I'm talking about the score being the right way because I just don't, I don't want to mislead people here. I mean, it was a bit of a. I think that's because, right because that was. I, I believe that's right in terms of the score there. But I mean, more than anything, it was just you know a critical play because if they punch the ball in there, like it doesn't really set up anything to what we're talking about. Yep. Yeah, it was a 1914 lead. Okay, so it goes to so it's nineteen four. So it goes to twenty two fourteen. So it makes it basically a touchdown and a two point conversion. So it's still a one score game, but yeah. So it starts to you start to really see that game. You know, at, at that point, you're almost kind of looking at that because then I believe wasn't there wasn't there another field goal then, and didn't Bama end up going up twenty two fourteen? I think, or am I misremembering the timeline there? Yeah, no, this is the field goal that we're talking about. Okay, so, so that, they so kick that, okay. it here, so they go twenty two fourteen, and then. Next uh, Auburn drive, Jackson starts to get going. And then he he rips off this, I think it's a 53-yard gain just on a simple toss play where it's, you know, it's a wishbone toss. They pull both guards as well as the fullback and the left halfback, um, little train lane um, in front of him, Lionel little train Lewis, excuse me. Uh, So Jackson has a convoy in front of him. He rips off a 53-yard gain, but... Alabama stiffens, they're forced to kick the field goal, so it's 22-17 at this point. And that pretty much sets everything up for later. That sets everything up for the final drive. So before we get into that even, a couple questions for you. My first is, 
How much fun did you have watching these two offenses? Just because you don't really see two offenses like this going up against each other in today's college game. It must have been uh, kind of a trip just to go back and see something that's so different from what you watch today. Yeah, I mean, you know, Alabama broke open the scoring on a Yankee concept with an over route and a post pattern, which is something you see today. But the way they get there. It's so foreign, I'd say, to what we see in today's college game or pro game because they line up with three running backs, a tight end, and a wide receiver, which isn't a crazy personnel group. But the way they have them lined up, they've got a wishbone look, but one of the halfbacks is in sort of a flexbone alignment, so he's at a wing. And then you have the split end, Joey Jones, who catches the touchdown. He's split to the right in a three-point stance. And the tight end, um, Jesse Bessemer, He's split to the left, also in a three-point stance. Or, excuse me, Jesse Bendross. So you've got you know three running backs, a tight end, wide receiver. Everybody's in three-point stances, and they fake the option, drop back to throw, and then, and then you get the Yankee concept with that tight end, Bendross, running the sort of the dig route, and uh, Jones running the post route over the top. So, I mean, that was one thing that it's just so different to what we see now. Another thing that stood out, I included – Randy Campbell, he was Auburn's quarterback. I included a touchdown run that he had on the triple option, if only to show the fact he was wearing a full-cage John Riggins-style face mask. Well, that's what I always wanted to do in college. It was either my – I always wanted either that or just the single bar. Yeah, I, the Theisman single bar. They, they don't let you do the single bar anymore, no. unfortunately. Which no, I th- but, I mean, if you think about it, this is – you know, the quarterback's running the ball or at least starting the option on the majority of staff, so yep. it made sense to have the full cage. Now, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, just in terms of looking at how these two teams schemed, we see a lot of teams today with you know prime skill position players, they move them all over the field trying to get them touches. You put them out wide, you put them in the slot, you put them in the backfield, you run them across the field in motion, so forth, all kinds of things. Did you see anything, not necessarily similar, but similar concepts in terms of, look, here's my best player. I'm going to try to move him around the formation to try to get him the ball. Did you see coaches doing that, even with something like a wishbone setup? Auburn actually did something in this game that kind of took Keith Jackson aback. He and um, the guy that was doing the, the color, um, uh, Frank Broyles, were just kind of like, whoa, the, the, Auburn hasn't done this at all this year. This is the first time they're using this formation. They came out in the I formation with Jackson at fullback and Lewis at tailback. And that kind of like blew everybody's mind. What, uh, what, what, was this a one play thing or was this something no, that ran they ran multiple because, times? Um, they, they ran it multiple times because they couldn't really get their offense going until they, they took advantage. You know, the, the first time they, the first touchdown that they scored, it was a result of a turnover um, in a short field, but they were having trouble moving the ball. So what they tried to do is they tried to get their two best runners in the backfield, Jackson at fullback. He had never really played fullback before, and Lewis at tailback, and try to get do some different things, get Jackson maybe some better angles on f- sort of fullback dive plays, um, let him block a little bit. And he was a pretty good blocker on uh, a Lewis touchdown run on delay uh, later in the game. He took out both inside linebackers, um, while he was cutting up the middle of the block. So that was one thing that kind of stood out in that, you know, in response to that question was they went to an I formation, which, like I said, it, it took the guys in the booth by surprise. How was the, or rather, what was the typical usage pattern uh, with Bo? Were there any certain, uh, certain plays that, you know, he was typically getting the call on that were his bread and butter? They loved the toss. 
uh, the toss play that I talked about earlier. They they did like to throw them the ball, and that that final drive they got them into the flat. They like to get them to space, and then of course you know just up the middle, and that sets the stage again for the ball over the top play. Let's we we might as well get to that at this point. Talk to me about this play because this. I mean, you're. <laughs> I, I hesitate to say that it's a top five all-time college football play, but you're probably talking, you know, top ten, top fifteen most famous plays out there. A- am I wrong on that? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, especially if you ask an Auburn fan, I'm sure they'd agree with you. Oh, it's probably number one or number two for Auburn. Well, I, I mean, mean, I think that the the re- the kick return in the past couple yeah. of years, Chris Harris would probably yep. be one, but this would probably be two. Um, you know, again, you know, it's kind of set the stage for the entire drive. Um, Auburn gets the ball back. They they kick the field goal after that long Bo Jackson run on the toss play to cut the lead to 22-17. So they're down five. They need a touchdown. They force a quick three and out from the Crimson Tide. So they get the ball back with about seven minutes left. And again, this is a triple option team. So seven minutes, it's kind of do or die time. Yep. Um, so they en- Campbell engineers a decent drive, including he makes a nice throw on a third and 14 on a deep out route um, when they really needed to keep this – this drive moving and then he throws what looks to be a disastrous game-ended interception at the nine-yard line of Alabama but it's called uh, defensive pass interference so Auburn gets the ball first and goal at the nine they fall start back to the 14 first play is a run that basically goes nowhere second play Jackson up the middle that gets about six and then the third play they get Jackson in the flat and he's cut down just about inside the one-yard line so it's fourth and goal from inside the one Auburn takes a timeout. Obviously, they need a touchdown. They can't kick a field goal here. There's just not enough time left. And when they're on the sidelines thinking about what to do for the next play, Jackson, who, remember, is a true freshman, looks Coach Dye in the eye and says, look, Coach, I was a seven-foot high jumper in high school. Just let me go over the top. And that's basically what they called the play. They just said, bow over the top. Coach Dye called, told the lineman, just block anybody and get them down, get as low as you can. And just give it to Jackson, and that's exactly what happened. And what's interesting is earlier in this drive, they had a similar run and play called, and Jackson leapt over the top to convert a fourth and short. And so it wasn't the first time he had done something like this, but it's the first time that he had actually looked Coach Dineye and said, look, just give it to me. I'll go over the top. And it became an actual staple of their playbook. It was just bow over the top from after that. Yeah, and, and you look at this and talking about just in the sense of his overall career, you know, the and it's probably the worst play on words that I'll ever make, but the springboard into his sophomore year then, you talk about a guy who in that sophomore year averaged 7.7 yards a carry, 1,200 yards, 12 touchdowns. I mean, look, th- it wasn't this one play that necessarily did it, but you talk about, you know, giving not only him but his team and any, you know, any play callers the confidence to be able to do that, just set him up for that 83 season perfectly. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, and I, I don't want to downplay the context of this entire game because on the other sideline, you have Paul Bear Bryant, an yep. absolute legend of the game. And this was going to be, this was his last Iron Bowl. The man that could have had Bo Jackson, could have recruited him, basically was the way he was and said, look, you know, I don't play guys right away. You might not see the field until you're a junior, and that's just the way it's going to be. Jackson goes to Auburn, then they meet in this Iron Bowl, which is the last one that Brian ever coaches. Alabama goes on to play in the Liberty Bowl. They win that game. Bryant retires after that game and then passes away a month later. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say that. He he passed away, what, like a year and a half after this game? or no. le- Less than that even. Probably about yeah. like 13 or 14 months, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So I there's mean, yeah, I mean you, you've got, you've got a lot going on there in the history of this rivalry then. Yeah. And again, circling back to how we started this, this was Alabama's, I mean, Auburn's first win in a decade in this rivalry. And, you know, this was something that Alabama had owned for the better part of 10 years. And it comes down to a freshman who could have been on the other sideline coming to his new coach and looking him in the eye and saying, look, coach, just give it to me and I can go over the top. What what did you see? I mean, obviously you talk about, uh, you know, this was – you know what this game meant here but in terms of how it transformed the Auburn program how long was it before they really started cranking and getting things going there was it I, I I'm not familiar is it was it a couple of years or was did it take no. them a few more years to get going the next year they called themselves the New York Times national champions because the next year they finished 11-1 they won the SEC championship okay. game. they entered bowl season ranked third in the country yep they beat Michigan. Yeah, it was Michigan in the Sugar Bowl, 9-7. The two teams ahead of them lost. So they were number three. They should have jumped up to number one. But Miami, who was number five in the AP poll and number four in the coaches, they leapt, leapt over Oh, Auburn that's right, yep. Based on their bowl win. So they were crowned national champions from the AP and the coaches poll. Yep. But the New York Times had this crazy thing called a computer that they used to do their rankings and they said Auburn was number one so Auburn called themselves the New York Times national champions so the next year they they were basically not atop the college football world but pretty darn close and then I believe it was there was a little bit of a drop off at some point after that but then I think it was it was either 92 or 93 which was it when uh they had uh what was it the it was the 11 and 0 season that they had there I think it was I'm thinking it was 93 with uh, – it was with Bowden, right? Terry yeah, Bowden? I'm looking right now. I think so. I can't remember. But, you know, you, you talk about just the transformation, obviously. 93, yeah. 93, yeah. So you, you talk about it. And they were on a postseason bowl ban due to probation. Right. And they still went 11-0. Yep. So it's – I mean – they couldn't even go to a bowl game. Yeah, you, you know, you talk about it, and obviously, you know, so many different stories coming out of this game. Again, you mentioned Bear Bryant. You mentioned the, the start of that transformation at Auburn. Obviously, Bo Jackson and really, uh, you know, a, a critical moment in his career. So many different storylines packed into, you know, one game uh, that, you know, just happened to be one of the greatest rivalries in college football, too. Yeah, and, you know, all of these reasons made it, you know, a really enticing game to kind of look back and, you know, go through the tape and see how it came together on the field when you've got all of these storylines sort of on or on the sidelines associated with this game. Got about a minute left now. Any last thoughts uh, before we turn in for the night? Not really. I mean, just, you know, this is going to be the first of, uh, we're going to look at, I think we're going to have a couple of different writers look at a couple of different, if not more, uh, sort of old classic college games. Um, I know I've got some others from the Big Ten I want to take a look at. Um, I'd love to dig into some of those Florida, Florida State games, some uh, some of those Miami, Florida State games. So we'll see how much we can get done this summer. But it should be fun before this season gets cranking up again. It's always nice to take a look back at some of the you know the the classic games from years gone by and to see how they came together. Certainly is, certainly is, and that is all the time we got for the day, Mark. Big thanks for doing this. It's pretty cool to go back and look at something, especially uh, you know a game of this magnitude with this many different stories. Awesome stuff, my man. Thanks, buddy. I hope people appreciate it. I, you know, it's again, we're in July now. There's not football happening, so you know, 
nice to take a look at something and uh, break it down a little bit and give it the ITP treatment. We are almost through the doldrums. Only a couple weeks left to go until training camp. That is it for the day. We are back tomorrow. We'll get you through hump day. Just make sure you tune in again on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast with Chuck Zod and Mark Schofield. We will see you then.